Ladies and gentlemen. What are you doing? What do you mean? I'm making Just keep it simple. I'm making the promo. Just keep it simple. Just say, hey, we're the Brav Bros. Two guys that talk about Bravo. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're the Brav Bros. No. Oh. Dude, stop with the voice. Just the vo- keep it simple. I've seen promos on TV, dude. This is how you get the fans engaged. This is how you get listeners. We're trying to get listeners here. If we just say, oh, we're two dudes that talk about Bravo, people are going to get tired of it already. We need some oomph. All right, then fine. Let's try to do it with your voice. Brav Bros. Good job. Hello, everybody. This is Betsy Wurzel, your host of Chatting with Betsy, a passionate world talk radio where our mantra is to educate, enlighten, and entertain. The views of the guests may not represent those of the host of the station. Folks, I have a special guest and a very dear topic close to my heart. Those of you who listen to uh, Chatting with Betsy know that I believe in talking about death and dying. Let's pop the lid open and bring this to the forefront. We have to stop making death, dying, and grieving a taboo subject. It's part of the circle of life. And I'm so thankful for my guest today, Judith Judith Johnson, excuse me, Ph.D., who is an educator whose mission is to help others master the art of being true to themselves. She is an author, a mentor, and workshop leader. She holds doctorates in social psychology and spiritual science, as well as an MBA. For over 40 years, she has been studying and teaching the dynamics of how our beliefs inform our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors as individuals and in our relationships, social order, culture, and institutions. Judith's work draws upon her own life lessons, wisdom teachings from around the world, and her experience mentoring others. Ordained as an interfaith minister in 1985, she serves as a chaplain at her local hospital and counsels the grieving. Judith is the author of the popular Writing Meaningful Wedding Vows, lives in New York, Hudson Valley. Well, Judith has another book coming out next month, which I highly recommend you getting, called Making Peace with Death and Dying, A Practical Guide to Liberating Ourselves from the Death Taboo. I love that. I want to welcome Judith Johnson to Chatting with Betsy. Thank you. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) You're welcome. Uh, Yes, we need to stop making death and dying uh, taboo. And I'm so grateful, Judith, for people like you who are doing that, who are writing books, mentoring people about this. What inspired you to write your book, Making Peace with, with Death and Dying? Well, this was the direct uh, response to a deathbed promise made to my mother. Um, My mother and I shared a home during the last nine years of her life, so from age 80 to 89. And um, the last six months were quite uh, dramatic. And, um, you know, we were both astounded by how poorly our society, our culture, handles this time of life for the dying person and their loved ones. And on her deathbed, she grabbed my wrist and 
you know, I don't know what kind of power your mama had over you, but my mama had a lot of power over me. <laughs> and she grabbed my wrist and she said, promise me that you will write about what we have learned here. And so I, of course, said yes. And this book is the result. And it took me 15 years to write this book because it, it re- got, I rewrote it five different times to finally find my voice to be able to say what, what we wanted to express. Um, and it's really about the fact that we have a, a really powerful taboo in this society around death. And probably and you referenced something before about the stages of life. And it's probably the easiest way to comprehend what I mean by this being a taboo is if you think about how you typically feel when you hear that somebody's pregnant or somebody had a baby. And then you think of how you feel when you hear somebody died. Okay. Now, why should we be excited about one and grief-stricken about the other? They are both stages of life. Everybody's born, everybody lives, everybody dies. But we assign that emotional content to birth and death. And in so doing, we make that last stage of life taboo. We don't talk about it. We don't like to look at it. We don't know how to deal with it anymore. So true, so true, Judith, and I'm trying to change that by having guests on such as yourself and uh, talking about it myself uh, Mm -hmm. openly. I believe in talking about my grieving um, openly, and what I have done, and I, I hope I am encouraging people, I still honor my husband's birthday. I honor my anniversary. Even though Matt is gone, I feel he's still with me, and I still will honor his life. Now, people might think that's weird. They might think I shouldn't be talking about my husband, but you know what? Our loved ones lived on this earth. How do we stop talking about them? Why should we stop talking about them? I'm not going to stop talking about my husband. Um, I'm trying to model grieving, you know, to other people to say, hey, it's okay. Have a birthday party on your loved one's um, birthday. Uh, do you teach that in your book? Uh, not, not that specifically, but I believe very strongly <laughs> that, um, first of all, let me say that how we feel about, our, about somebody after they've died, um, what I want to say is not everybody is a tender loved one. Okay, some people we had a hard relationship with. And I think that each one of us, that when we come close to each other in life, I really believe that we are there to teach each other lessons. And that it's important to find out, well, what, what, why, why did this, why is this person in my life? Or what were the gifts I got from this person? So, for example, um, I had a very difficult relationship with my father. And um, I had a very close relationship with my mother. And I just want to contrast the two of them for a moment to make my point. Um, I was there right through to the very end with my mother. And I was happy to do that for her. I was there in service to every last breath of her life. And when she died, I was actually ready for her to die. I was almost impatient. It was because her last nine days were in kind of a coma state. Okay, um, and 
It was like, when is this going to be over, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Because there was nothing further for her to do in living, it felt like. But I also felt that spiritually, I didn't know what her being was doing for that nine days. But whatever it was, however long it took, I would be there. But when it was done, I felt complete. Now, I, I too carry her profoundly in my heart. And it took a long time before I stopped going to go to ask her a question and realize, oh, she's not on this earth anymore, you know? Right. But in, in contrast to that, I had a very painful and difficult relationship with my father. When he died, I sobbed for two weeks straight. Completely, it, there, was, there was no conscious prompt. It, was, it wasn't like I thought of him and sobbed. It just kept pouring out of me. And with 2020 hindsight, I came to realize that my relationship with him caused me to live in, in like the tension, if you imagine stretching an elastic band all the way and then you let it go and the tension is gone. That's what it was like for me when he died, the tension. I was relieved of the tension that I lived with in relationship to him all, all you know, our shared life. And so I had relief. Now, a lot of people don't want to acknowledge something like that, but that's what the experience was for me, and it poured out of me. Now, that doesn't mean that, um, you know, I, don't, I, I think it's important to know that each, um, each grieving is different. And yes. the fact that you have the kind of relationship you had with your husband and you want to have birthday parties and anniversary parties to celebrate him, that's a beautiful testament to what you shared and keeping his memory alive, okay? For other people, that's not the path that is appropriate for them. But I think that each of us needs to find what, what, is, you know, to, what is the energy that I feel inside myself about this and what is there for me to learn and to complete about that relationship? Oh, I love that. That's true because my father and I, um, yeah, it's a different type of uh, grieving that I had when my father died. Um, I know that my dad loved me the best that he could, but he was emotionally abusive. Mm-hmm. And when he died... I went to his grave after day after his funeral, and I yelled at him. I felt mm-hmm. much better, but I was there like mm-hmm. a lunatic yelling at, yelling at him, and then uh, it was just cathartic for me to do that. Um, and my, I, I do you know, honor my, my dad. On, um, I'll show his picture on Facebook. And uh, my brother passed away last year, and I honor him, but nothing compared to the relationship I have with my husband, of course, because it's different relationships, different, I guess you would call it different types of grieving, yeah. different ways. And so, um, yeah, I, I understand that. What would you... I would like to mention one other thing about sure. grief. Go ahead. Is mm-hmm. that um, it's important to remember that grief doesn't start when the person dies. True. It starts it, it starts way before that. You know, when the acknowledgement, when the awareness comes present that we've crossed the line from doing what we can to get better to the point where there's nothing further to be done and this person is dying. That's an, it's very important. It's a letting, grieving is a letting go process. It's a releasing. 
and it's a releasing of not only the person, but the opportunity to make the relationship any different. Okay? Uh, yes, very true. I know in um, many cases when you have a terminal illness, such as my husband had early onset Alzheimer's, you start grieving from diagnosis. Yes. Uh, and each scale lost. So I was grieving all along, and then, of course, you know, when that died, then it's, you know, missing his physical presence. And you know, everyone does grieve differently. Everyone takes, the, you know, their own time. I tell people, um, I will always grieve, Matt, but it's a different type of grieving. My grieving has changed in two years. Mm-hmm. I don't have that deep underlying sadness anymore. Um, not that I don't miss Matt. I still miss Matt. I'm just not carry, carrying around that heaviness anymore. Then sometimes I'm thinking, should I feel guilty about that? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like I, I will always love and miss Matt. And this is what I tell people. We'll always love and miss our loved ones. Um, especially if you had a good relationship. If you didn't have a good relationship with someone, you may not always love and miss them, and that's okay too. But I just think that we need to really get rid of these taboos and as a society learn how to deal with grieving and learning what to say to people because some of the people could say some real winners. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I Uh, want to mention um, hospice this context because uh, anybody who's heard me speak knows that I am a big, big fan of hospice based on my experience with them around my mother's death. And yet I also, as a chaplain and somebody who um, counsels the grieving, know that a lot of people equate the word hospice with, oh, my God, no, that means death. I don't want anything to do with that. And people avoid hospice because it takes them into the reality of, yes, this person is believed to be within six months of dying. And people, because of the death taboo, we, we try to hold off that happening. And so hospice and bringing hospice in in its own way is, is counterintuitive for us because we don't want the death to happen. And so we think if we don't bring hospice in, it's not going to happen. That's kind of the unconscious, um, uh, illogical kind of thinking that is typical about that. In reality, um, I just want to say what hospice is, as opposed to what, you know, I understand those fears and resistances, and that is all because we have this death taboo. If we were more accepting of the reality of the end of life, that would be a different response, and that just shows us how fearful we are about death. Hospice is is an organization with people who are trained and who are extremely comfortable around how to deal with this end of life, so to speak. Like, think about the last six months of life. Because medically, in order for somebody to be referred to hospice, the doctors have to say, yes, I believe this person has less than six months to live. Okay? And that's the threshold of, of qualification. For me and for my mother, having hospice come was like being abducted by a a team of angels. I had no idea how to be a good caregiver other than that I loved my mother beyond belief and I wanted to do everything I could possibly think of 
to comfort her and support her through her time. When hospice came in, I got educated by them about this is what's normal, this is what's not normal. You can call us 24 hours a day. You know, and I knew that I could call them at 3 o'clock in the morning with a question and nobody was going to give me attitude, you know. <laughs> they were going to lovingly be on the other end of the phone. And so all of a sudden I wasn't alone trying to handle and, and serve my mother. And that was an amazing, an amazing blessing. Yes. I encourage um, people to think about that in terms of hospice. Hospice is really our society finally recognizing that we need expertise around this last stage of life. Yes, yes. I even recommend, if people can afford it, uh, end-of-life doulas to mm-hmm. help them. Um, in your book, you mentioned about getting you know, affairs in order. Um, yes. People don't like having these conversations, Judith, of you know, what do you want your end-of-life to look like? What do you want done for you at the end of your life? We need to have these conversations well, we have our uh, faculties with us. Exactly. And we need to, yes, and how we want to, um, what kind of memorial service do we want? How do we want to be buried? Do we want to be cremated? Go ahead. Right. You know, you're, you're touching on all of the areas. So I always say <laughs> that there are three basic areas um, of end-of-life planning. And um, before I go into that, I want to say that, it's important for people to realize that you do not have to be old to die. 28% of us, 28% of us will die before the age of 65. So if you go about your life thinking, oh, I don't have to do end-of-life planning, I have plenty of time, you may be foregoing the opportunity to do that planning. And let me, before I go into what it is, say that there are two primary reasons for doing this planning ahead of time, as you say, when you have your faculties. Number one is it allows you to have a voice. It allows you to say, this is what I want, and will you please take charge of making sure that you make every effort to fulfill my wishes, okay? That's number one. Number two is if you do not, it's like consider the alternative. If you do not, and the three areas are, legally uh, identify what it is that you want for end-of-life care, and I'll go into that in a minute. The second one is I have money and stuff. Now, people say, well, I don't really have anything. If you have $10 and you have a clock on the wall, somebody gets to decide who gets that. Would you like to decide or would you like to leave that to your loved ones to either fight over or whatever is done, okay? And then the third area is end-of-life rituals. Some people say, hey, I don't want you to have a a funeral for me. I want a party before I die. I mean, people have all different ideas of what they would like. And so the question is, do you want to have input? And the second thing is, or do you want to burden your loved ones with trying to guess what you wanted when they are stressed out because you're dying? Don't put your love, if you really love your loved ones, don't put them through that. Do the work ahead of time. You know, put your affair, what I, what I call put your ducks in a row before you go. And the three yes. areas are advanced health care planning. What that means is you want to find out what are the choices that are going to be being made medically for you. 
in the event that you're dying, okay? Um, things like, let me give one example, resuscitation. If you are a 16-year-old who got um, in a snowboarding accident, resuscitation is probably a great idea if they think that it's going to restore you. If you are 96 years old, resuscitation will probably break your ribs and cause you pain. And if they do get you back, it, the, the, you might not sustain life after that. So it might cause more damage than good. So you have to think about these things and, and be able to qualify. In this case, this is what I want. In that case, this is what I want. You need to think about that. And in doing so, you relieve your loved ones of having to try to figure that out for you. But it's more than figuring it out. You legally fill out their certain forms, and if you want to know what advanced health care planning is in your state, you go to your state, like if in, I'm in New York, and it would be newyork.gov, and you look for health care proxy or advanced health care planning, and you find out each state has their own forms. So that's the health care piece. The second piece is a will or a trust, which is what do you want to happen to your money and your stuff, okay? And there again, you need to think about it, you need to document it, and make it legal, okay? And that again relieves the stress of other people trying to figure it out. And then again, the third one which we mentioned is what kind of, um, once you die, what do you want to have happen with your body? So for example, um, I have signed up with, um, there's, you know how on your license you can be an organ donor or a, you can be a full body donor or whatever, depending on what state, right. what they say there. I, I have mine set up so that my body gets donated for scientific use, and that's all triaged in, in certain uh, geographic areas. And so, for example, for me, because of where I live, my agreement is with Albany Medical Center in New York. And when I die, they get my body to use. Because of my own personal beliefs, that's okay with me. And then, they, then you know, there's agreements there. Other people say, no, 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 no. I want to be cremated or I want to be buried or I want a green funeral. That, and there's all kinds of new green funerals. Of, that are, you know, eco-friendly funeral options. But then there's also the question of, do you want to have a funeral? Is it important to you that everybody have their personal box of tissues and cry their eyes out? Does, is that meaningful to you? Or is it meaningful to you to take the money that would have been spent on having that event and putting a bench on the boardwalk at the beach that you used to love? You know, there's all kinds of ideas and options. So you think about what the footprint is on this earth that you want to leave. Yes, I totally agree that we must have these discussions. And I'd like to know, Judith, uh, what would you like the reader to take away from your book? You have so much knowledge in here, so much information, and I highly recommend this book uh, for people to buy and, and to read because um, really it gives great information, great advice, um, and that's what I take away from it. But I wanted you to say what you would like the readers to take away from your book. Okay. <clears throat> um, 
let, in order to answer that, let me mention the design of the book. I have intentionally included a whole series of exercises in this book so that it takes you beyond the experience of an intellectual encounter with ideas into an experience of applying those ideas in your own life. So, for example, I ask you to think about what does, it mean, what does death mean to you? Um, what do you think dies at death? So some people will answer that and say, well, I think we are physical bodies and egos and personalities and that when we die, that's it, it's all over. Other people will say, I believe that we're souls, that we're spiritual beings in human bodies. And then they have a whole belief system around that. So it's impo important to know what you believe because what you believe will inform how you live your life. You can imagine that those two different points of view would yield very different life journeys. So first I want my readers to know the exercises are there to make sure that you are well acquainted with yourself and that you understand and that you give yourself a chance to think about your own death, how you behave around death, how you support others and their death, um, because this is something that we all have the opportunity to do better. The second thing I want people to know is it's not your fault if you are afraid of death. You have been taught to be afraid. And one of the most liberating things we can do in life is to become free of fears. A fear, um, if you think about what it really is, fear is a fantasy expectation that appears true, appears real, excuse me. Fantasy expectation that appears real. Isn't that interesting? In other words, fear is a figment of your imagination. Now, we have collective cultural fears, and death is one of them. And so it's in very unconsciously presented to us in all different ways. And that fear is very alive within us. So dismantle the fear. That's what my book is designed to do, is take you by the hand and help you dismantle that fear out of you and become one of the people that helps our society dismantle this fear. That's probably my biggest goal in the book. I love that. I really do love that. Um, and thank you for writing your book the name of the book, folks, is Making Peace with Death and Dying, A Practical Guide to Liberating Ourselves from the Death Taboo. I have to say about your cover, Judith, mm -hmm. um, looking at it, to me, it reminds me of, um, if I forgot what they were called, and the things I would blow, and, you know, the white things come, come off. It's, yeah, it's, it's, the dandel it's the dandelion stuff. D dandelion pub okay that, that's why i was a dandelion i wasn't sure yeah. but the floating ones to me it represents mm -hmm. someone's spirit floating away that's, that's what, what i get from the me also yes yes and so i really like the cover where can people purchase your book i know it's coming out next month in march it's coming out next march but any any march on march this coming march 8th um, but right now you can pre-order it on any of the online platforms like Barnes & Noble or uh, Amazon, any of them. The book is up there listed and it's available for pre-order and it'll shoot out to you on March 8th. Oh, great. They could pre-order it. Good, yeah. good. That's, that's good. And I would highly, highly recommend uh, my audience to 
read this book, buy it, buy it as a gift. You know what, folks? We as a society um, really need to change how we view death, dying, and grieving. And I really never thought about it really until it hit me personally, not so much with my dad, but with my husband dying, my brother dying. Um, my mom, God bless her, she was 91 when my brother died. And she comes from that time where you don't talk about your feelings. And it's so sad to see someone suffer with grieving and won't talk about it because they think they're going to air their dirty laundry, that they have to suffer um, dealing with it when they don't have to. And, you know, I go for grief counseling. I'm not ashamed to say it. And if you are struggling, I want to tell the audience, if you are struggling uh, with grieving, please go to a mental health care provider. Talk to your primary doctor. It's okay to need help. Join support groups. There are many support groups uh, about grieving. And also call the local hospice organization in your area. Um, when I uh, used their services, they were I had... They were, I don't know if this is still true, but at the time they offered free um, grief counseling for a year after the death. And it was just, one of the things people don't realize about grieving is part of it is the, the idea of being able to have another human being bear witness to what you experienced is huge. Um, in, in my case, the journey with my mother was so intimate. It was just the two of us. 90, 90% of the time. And for me to be able to tell a, a total stranger what I went through and what that experience felt like for me brought me a validation that was so profound. And I, I do that work now with other people. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's a huge, huge benefit. So I just want to say that hospice is another place that does provide that support. And I also want to invite people to go to my website because they can also read more about my book there. And my website is very simple. It's judithjohnson.com. Oh, and thank I you. Talk yes. I about my, my services to, on end of life there as well. Oh, okay. Do you do counseling via Zoom, Judith? Yes, I do. Oh, great. That's great. Okay. That's good to know because I was going to um, – Ask that, yes. Um, I highly recommend going on Judith Johnson's website because it is um, great. You could see what Judith has to offer. And you know what? We all need help at some time. Um, unfortunately, right after my husband died, COVID happened. So our hospice, um, they didn't offer that uh, grief counseling. We had one support group, and COVID happened, and that was that was the end of that. But um, I just want to thank you for coming on Chatting with Betsy and writing your book and for helping others. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. I appreciate, thank you. I appreciate people like you, Judith Johnson, who are taking this subject and bringing it out into the open, which is what – we need to do and I'm extremely passionate about this because it hit home for me and 
the way, you know, like what people say to people when they're grieving. Um, it's like sometimes, I know they don't know what to say, and I know sometimes they, you know, they mean well, but sometimes people open their mouth and insert their foot. Um, I do want to say this from the bottom of my heart to the audience. Please, when people are grieving, when someone is dying or they, their loved one has died, please don't tell people to be strong. Please don't say that to someone. They've been strong. We're human beings. We cry. It's okay. It's not a sign of weakness to cry. I want to add to that if you don't mind. Sure, and go ahead. To say, when somebody else is grieving and you think that they're not, you know, or upset and you don't think, and you're probably, unco- people, a lot of people are uncomfortable yes. and they're trying to fix the other person's yes. discomfort. What we need to do is make space for it, not to bring it to an end, but to say, I'm so, you know, I love you and I care about you. It, I, I see how hard this is for you. Acknowledge what the person is going through. Don't tell them that they should do it differently. Don't ever tell someone they should grieve differently than they're grieving. Cheer them on in their grief and say, please let it out. You, deserve, you earned it and you, you're grieving because you had great love there. You know? Oh, I love that. Yeah. And it, it, one other thing I, I do want to add is that um, my, my work is all about human consciousness. And on the bottom of every page of my website is a statement that is the bottom line for everything in my point of view. And it's that love is our first and our most sacred priority. And we should never forget that. We are here to love one another. And when we get away from that, we're out of balance and we're off track. And what we need to do is find out what is the most loving thing I can do in this moment. That's a wonderful question to ask. Oh, I love that. Oh, I, you are just full of juicy gems. Thank you so <laughs> much, Judith Johnson. People need to hear you more. And uh, I would love for you to come back on my show again. Um, and to discuss more about, you know, your book or, you know, something along the lines with death and dying, if you'd like to come back grieving because people need to hear this. Um, why do I bring this up, audience? Is it because Betsy Wurzel is morbid? No, Betsy Wurzel is real and dying is a part of life and we need to teach our children that. We need to start having it be an acceptable part of a conversation. It is part of life. It's part of the circle of life, whether we like, whether we like it or not. That's the way it is. We're born, we live, we die. Um, so let's embrace it. Let's embrace the person who, who lived. And I want to thank you again, Judith Johnson. Folks, if you missed any of this podcast, you could hear it again on your favorite podcast outlet. It is free to subscribe to Chatting with Betsy. I'm on podcasts, um, not podcast, Podchaser, Spreaker, Spotify, just to name a few. And please share this podcast to help others and read the blog that will have information about Judith Johnson and how you can get in in touch with her. Uh, And her website will be in the blog as well. I want to thank Jeannie White, station manager at Passion World Talk Radio, for writing the blog, producing the show. And I want to thank Lillian Caldwell, CEO 
the Passionate World Talk Radio, who makes this all possible. And thank you, the audience, for listening and sharing. I appreciate it. And I just want to thank everyone for your support. Go ahead and uh, even rate my show. Hopefully give it five stars. This show is to help other people. Chatting with Betsy is to help others because I sure wish I had the resources when um, I needed them. And uh, this show is for you, the audience. And I want to thank you all. This is Betsy Wurzel, your host of Chatting with Betsy on Passionate World Talk Radio. Till we talk again, please be kind, everyone. Bye-bye now.